Welcome to MI Cynic, the podcast with a license to inform. This is your host, Thomas Brancato. Today, we are welcoming back Mr. Luis Campos to finish our conversation on the topic of civil unrest in Colombia. We resume our discussion from our previous episode on extreme left-right violence in Latin America. Where it gets a little bit difficult is when you say in Latin America, the thing is, it's so hard to pinpoint this because the extreme left and extreme right divides have sort of always been there. So it's not so easy for the analyst to come in and say, as a result of this new civil unrest in such and such country, there is, it's like, no, you know, it's the same old. And, and, and this is an interesting point, you know, because that old school left and an old school right divide, you view, for example, things from a, from a Western European perspective, say, you know, when I look at things from a British perspective, and it's the left and the right has shifted, and they mean different things today. You know, we can speak about the left today as, uh, for example, the, the progressive left pushing for, you know, whatever it is, LGBT rights. So, and, and you could talk about uh, the alt-right, you know, pushing for a return to um, sort of white ethnocentrism or whatever it is. But regardless, the point being that the, the meanings and the agendas behind the left and right have shifted. And yet, when we look at Latin America, we look at Colombia, we're talking about fundamentally old school, you know, Marxist left and, uh, you, you know, sending the, the, uh, the army right. This is something to, to keep in mind as well for an audience that, that might not be used to this. One would think that after the experience of the 70s and the 80s between alternating uh, military dictatorships and civilian governments for much of the Latin American world, there would be lessons learned. There would be compromises made. There would be consensus achieved and society would move onwards. But if anything, I think you might agree with me that the experience in Colombia shows that as an America still dealing with these old demons. But anyway, bringing it back to, to the conversation, I want to talk about the center. There are these divides between the left and the right, even within the demonstrator themselves. And if perhaps we can't talk about a new radicalization that's happening, we can perhaps uh, say that Colombia has, is uh, now bearing the signs of these extreme political divides that were already present in society and have come into the fore now. The question I think that the government of Colombia might need to be asking itself is how do we bring these people back, if ever there was a back, to the center, perhaps <laughs> for the first time? Um, how do you build a new consensus in a short amount of time? And, and how do you try to resolve this politically by appealing to the common sense, to consensus, to trying to bridge gaps between people, and uh, which I think is, is the basis of all democracy? You, you have to have a center ground. Are there any signs that, that an analyst can look to? And for example, in, when we're doing comparing it with other countries, with other civil unrest, with other demonstrations, to say, um, you know, this is the, the crucial turning point by which politically there was a, there was a new alignment. And is that happening in Colombia? Are there any signs of that? Well, after about uh, mid-May, uh, <clears throat> when President Duque announced a series of um, uh, social polit uh, policies uh, to try to diminish the level of polarization. Um, it looks to me like that was a, 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 a sign of compromise regarding 
the reality of the situation and what, what can be drawn from, from that. Um, we, can, uh, we can also see there that even the, the, the figure of uh, former President Uribe, it uh, provides chances of uh, extreme positions, but at the same time, the issues with the increased uh, ELN uh, guerrilla um, uh, attacks, like in Cucuta, uh, where uh, an explosive device was uh, used to to um, <clears throat> attack a military base, and and some other incidents uh, that, that can be certainly categorized as terrorism, uh, we can see uh, that the situation does not look like a, like a middle ground. Uh, being generated anytime soon. However, I have noticed that uh, at least in the context of yesterday's uh, uh, protest or demonstration um, in, um, in celebration of the Independence Day, uh, July 20th of, uh, in Colombia, we were able to see that the dominant or prevalent uh, discourse was, let's go ahead, let's take on the streets, let's demonstrate by the thousands, but do not block streets, do not burn tires, uh, do not destroy uh, public or private property. So that that is a, a an adjustment that I was able to, to see. Even in the National uh, Strike Committee, the, the position or the narrative was, let's go ahead, let's take on the streets, but uh, let's avoid um, violence uh, as possible. However, we did see some uh, late at night. We did see some uh, violent incidents or clashes between uh, demonstrators in Cali and uh, security uh, forces, uh, local security forces. So it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like a, a middle ground being uh, met, uh, but some small adjustments. Like uh, we we see uh, Gustavo Petro's uh, discourse uh, sort of being more. Always left-leaning, but um, promoting nonviolence, uh, and his popularity levels are pretty high at the at the moment. So it, it sounds like probably he's trying to, uh, <clears throat> you know, take advantage of the situation and not display radical uh, positions uh, to avoid losing any any type of uh, support. So that's uh, that's how I at least uh, how I see the the situation. Right. So mixed signals, perhaps. Yeah. Well, your report predicted uh, an increase in violence and as well, curiously, uh, the president's resignation or at least the demands for the for President Duque's uh, resignation. Now, this is an old problem for for the analyst, um, because in hindsight and with with good data, it's possible to prepare a great report that allows the client, the target audience to get a really good uh, idea of what happened um, and uh, and what the situation is on the ground. But where it gets a bit more difficult is when the analyst tries to predict what might happen. Um, now, this is famously difficult for, for so many reasons, but especially in a country uh, with highly volatile politics and, uh, and a developing scenario like Colombia or any country in Latin America for that matter, is is famously hard to to predict anything with clarity and accuracy. How did you get around these limitations? Were there limitations that you can speak of? And uh, and how do you manage expectations on on the client's end whilst also trying to 
protect the integrity and cohesion of your work? Sure. Um, so in this um, situation, in this case uh, in particular, I can tell you this. If I were to write that report even a week before I did, I would have not been confident enough to, to write a, a forecast. That, that is something very important. And because at the moment in which I wrote the, the report, which is so, uh, very close to the end of May, like 24th, I, I think, um, <clears throat> the situation was starting to see more more clear. So this, this, uh, this type of civil unrest situation, massive protests and, and so on, there's always a, a thing you, you got to keep in mind. It, uh, it sort of loses uh, traction over time. You cannot sustain that uh, level of, uh, <clears throat> of protest and, 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 and of economic uh, <clears throat> hardship for an undetermined period of time. So determining how much time that can be, it's absolutely impossible. So if you go into the adventure of writing um, a report when the time is not right for a forecast, um, you expose yourself to being wrong. And especially if you are being um, held accountable for your reports. I mean, if you can, if you want to write super wild forecast, um, I don't know if you were in college or just uh, as a, as a writing adventure, that's perfect. You're not being held accountable, but in a context in which your recommendations, your forecast, your analysis, it's meant to, um, to feed the decision-making process of your client. Uh, it's better to shy out a little bit if it's necessary. And obviously do not aspire to be extremely detailed in your forecast because uh, the more details or specific outcomes you want to add in your um, <clears throat> report, the more you expose yourself to be uh, wrong. <clears throat> so in, particularly in the case of uh, Colombia, I would draw two uh, scenarios, highlighting the fact that I was considering the first scenario to be the, the most likely um, to occur. And let me just uh, mention some of the highlights there. Um, the most likely scenario, the number of deceased, injured, and arrested will slightly increase over the next few days, <clears throat> which sort of occur, and the situation sort of recomposed after a couple of weeks of that, um, the announcement of President Duque of uh, reinforcing security and sort of clearing, clearing out all of the block routes nationwide. <clears throat> And from there, um, not being able to solve the problem, but at least compose a, recompose the situation so the country can, you know, uh, restore its uh, economic and, and business uh, operation. Um, obviously, it seems to me like that um, scenario did occur, but, <clears throat> and we, we were able to uh, see this, maybe I, I did not mention in the report, we after the after President Duque announced um, uh, the deployment of more security forces, we register an increase in um, in the combativeness of uh, demonstrators. That was a natural response, and we saw a transitional um, increase in the um, uh, 
clashes, uh, wounded, uh, fatalities, and arrested individuals in, in that context. So in this case, naturally, we, we were, um, when it comes, as you mentioned, uh, how to satisfy um, our clients' needs regarding um, predicting stuff, uh, predicting scenarios, and, and so on. It's very important that we keep in mind this, and sometimes um, analysts uh, like do not think about this. Maybe, but uh, we need to. It's very important that we analysts uh, think, keep keep in mind the following: We humans need certainty, want to be certain about the future, especially if the if the situation seems uh, particularly unsafe. Or if we have, for example, a lot of um, um, economic assets deployed in a given area, we tend to be more nervous about the future. So the, the job of the intelligence analyst there is um, <clears throat> reduce the level of uncertainty. Obviously, you may go ahead and 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 draw your uh, scenario forecasting um, exercise and then be wrong, be completely wrong. You can have, uh, even if you're a super uh, senior expert with 50 years of experience, you may be wrong. You may have a, a black swan situation in which regardless of your efforts, you will be wrong. But to mitigate this, I I think the, the best uh, um, pathway is um, specialize in a geographic area if it's possible sometimes that is not possible but if it's possible get uh, really deep into uh, the knowledge of uh, a group of cultures of nations of a civilization and then analyze uh, in a comparative perspective a given phenomena for example i in particular have a strong interest in uh, democratization processes civil unrest, social protest, and, and so on. So I've been studying that type of phenomena in different countries, in different um, uh, historic periods. So obviously that, if you have seen different situation, different uh, historic situations that are so relatable in terms of demands, in terms of stakeholders and so on, you can more confidently uh, elaborate your prediction, but but then you you might be also wrong, and it's part of uh, putting yourself out there um, and trying to help your your, your client uh, as much as uh, as much as possible. In as far as the wild forecasts, I'm sure that there must be someone out there who, at the end of 2019, put his uh, his or her entire life savings into face masks and. Uh, vaccination pharma pharma companies and uh, yeah. is is laughing now so so you're right you know it, it every every now and then a wild forecast gets it right and every now and then a very solid forecast gets it wrong and that's part of the game but it sounds to me from your answer that timing is a crucial element of this and uh, and i want to talk about this time that we're living of course the covid-19 pandemic um, now, we haven't touched on this during our conversation today, but um, let's briefly turn to this for a second here. Uh, I mean, there's a pandemic going on. Uh, it's almost easy to forget that uh, we're living through unprecedented times. 
all of this whilst everything else is happening in Colombia. So how, how do the two, I mean, I'm sure they must um, rub off on each other. I'm sure that there's a, there's an impact here. Does your analysis show anything about COVID-19's impact on what's happening in, in Colombia? And uh, does it significantly alter what's going on there in any way? Yes, uh, certainly. Um, in the our interactive map, um, actually shows uh, an evolution of the protest uh, starting in 2019, end of 2019, actually. So you were able to see that social protest was there, was increasing. And when with the when the pandemic started, <clears throat> you sort sort of uh, see a decrease in uh, in uh, demonstrations. Obviously, it's like, and many I, I believe many analysts have uh, postulated this uh, as well, that the situation in in different countries like Chile, uh, Mexico, um, Ecuador, Colombia, sort of paused due to the pandemic. But the underlying um, social demands did not diminish, and and, and actually, the the whole uh, COVID nineteen pandemic increased pressure of our public uh, expenditure, and particularly in the case of um, of uh, Colombia, it seems to me like President Duque was trying to solve the fiscal imbalances during his administration. So. And at this moment, it seems that he just went on and made the decision, okay, I do not want to risk uh, the rest of my administration, just going to go ahead and, and, and compromise on the most of the social demands, and then just allow the next administration to deal with uh, uh, fiscal imbalances provoked by increased expenditure in this context. So... And in general, the pandemic, obviously, Latin America is one of the least advanced regions when it comes to tackling uh, the pandemic. Vaccination uh, campaigns are, have not been as successful as in other regions like Europe, United States. Uh, so what we can see and what I would expect that to impact in, in the future is that we might be exposing ourselves as societies to further social demands because um, the situation has to be solved. The uh, increased uh, expenditure, for example, in, in El Salvador, which is um, a country that very rapidly intervened in the, during the pandemic and um, increasing uh, imbalances in their in public finances is something that it just building up, building up. And at some time uh, that will need to be adjusted. And those adjustments uh, will create, not only in El Salvador, but in the entire region, will create opportunities uh, for social demands. And as we saw in, uh, in Colombia, uh, even though the pandemic started and all of that, the situation was just waiting for a new triggering event. And as we saw, uh, was uh, the moment in which President Duque tried to um, made decisions towards the um, recovering um, a level of uh, financial help uh, in the in the state. So that will create opportunities for, for example, we look at um, at Peru. The handling of the pandemic in Peru created the opportunities 
for dissatisfaction and resentment towards uh, uh, traditional political elites in Peru, which created the opportunity for um, uh, Pedro Castillo to win the, the election, even by a super small margin um, in this just past uh, elections. So opportunities for radical positions um, are being created by or as a, uh, as a consequence of the, of the pandemic in Latin America. Thanks for that, Luis. To finish off our conversation, I want to ask you a question that is as an analyst and as a, as a non-analyst, and I'll explain it in a minute. And I think this, this kind of question, this line of questioning is very common from one South American to another who has seen so many of these conflicts during his or her lifetime. As an analyst, keeping in mind the, the report that we're talking about today and everything else that we've discussed today, where does the civil unrest go from here in Colombia? What is the natural conclusion of this and how do you see this developing and when does it end uh, or does it end in Colombia? And then as not as an analyst, but as a citizen, as a South American, as a Latino man yourself, does Latin America ever escape from the old conflict of class conflict and economic poverty? Does this ever end? And I'll let you tackle that as best as you can uh, to finish off our conversation today. Yeah, definitely. You have uh, complex uh, questions. Um, now, regarding the where does it go from here? I think the underlying um, conditions uh, that generate uh, civil unrest, and in particular in Colombia, have not been solved. It does not seem to be a clear uh, solution. We can see uh, social leaders being killed every single day uh, in Colombia. We can see uh, frequent uh, terrorist attacks from uh, FARC dissidents and ELN uh, and guerrilla forces. Um, and we can also see an increase in the um, appealing of uh, left-leaning politicians like Petro, uh, we can see the persistence of, uh, of uh, uh, right-leaning positions like Uribismo. It's still going on. So it, um, the situation can explode again in the, in the short term. That's a, that's a fact. However, I would safely, I think, <laughs> or would like to think, it's, uh, probably the situation would not uh, reactivate uh, at least in the next few months, as a consequence of the, of the just recently uh, sort of solved um, uh, civil unrest situation in, in Colombia. So uh, a number of months may, uh, may run before a new, a new mass, uh, massive protest uh, may erupt in, in Colombia. And regarding your, your last question, the old narratives, the, the old discourses, radical positions. It seems to me like, and also in relation to the previous question, that in Latin America, uh, political players sort of tend to adopt a critically, a political position. And so for example, if you have um, uh, politicians who believe in free market, they will believe 
in a radical form of free market. No state intervention, no anti-monopoly policies, no minimum salary uh, policies or regulations. And if, we, if, if you see the other part, uh, radical left will ask for absolute and complete state intervention in the economy and so on. So it seems to me like um, that kind of old uh, Marxist uh, classification of the political universe will persist. But a potential situation um, or a potential course of action to sort of solve that might be a more pragmatic and ad hoc type of approach. So if you have a, a situation like uh, you have a, a, a significant part of your population being uh, not very advantaged or not having enough skills to progress in life, you got to respond to that. You, you cannot just assume a Darwinist type of uh, approach in which the problem should solve itself. Uh, it is undeniable that a level of intervention would be required, state intervention that is. Um, and at the same time, uh, being able to recognize the opportunities that free market um, methodologies provide as well. So just getting married to a political ideology is obviously um, a machine to build more polarization, more conflicts in, in, in Latin America, which I believe will continue in the future. And even though in Latin America, we have not seen yet a significant presence of the new, um, the new type of polarizations like um, po uh, identity politics, uh, LGBTQ type of uh, demands, racism um, or anti-racism. That's uh, situations that, that, that we can see generating polarization in more, more developed uh, geographic areas. That situation, even though Latin America is extremely prone to, um, let's say, uh, be responsive to social and political um, debates that happen in other places, uh, Latin America has not started that debate, which is a reality up to a certain point, but we are still trapped in the, in the cold world in, in a sense. And it doesn't seem like that will be solved anytime soon, to be honest. Well, we can certainly hope, uh, Luis. And uh, to that, I would just like to add as well that COVID-19 has, has already changed the world. It is a before and after already. And uh, who knows, one can certainly hope that this will be just exactly the kind of shock to the system uh, that might force uh, Latin America to, to start changing along with, with the rest of the world as well. But uh, that is for another topic on another day. Uh, I wanted to thank you, Luis, very much for, for coming on the show today. And, uh, and I hope that the next time that uh, I'd like to cover a topic on Latin America, that uh, I can count on, on you joining us for that time as well. Of course. Thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you so much, Lise. Goodbye. And that concludes the final part of my interview with Mr. Luis Campos, where we discuss the intelligence cycle regarding the public demonstrations in Colombia. And I hope you'll stay with us for the next episodes that we've got planned. Please remember to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and more. And of course, to check out our website for the latest episodes. 
Thank you so much and have a great day.